This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Since the beginning of the pandemic, China has had a zero-COVID policy. And a few weeks ago, in response to rapidly rising COVID cases, the whole of Shanghai was put under a very strict lockdown. The world's third largest city remains in lockdown. 25 million residents ordered confined to their home. But pretty quickly, things started to go wrong. With reports that locals have been unable to get basic supplies, there have been struggles to get food and medicine. And some have taken to protesting against the measures from the confines of their homes, screaming and shouting from their windows and balconies. Shanghai authorities have now begun easing the lockdown in some areas, despite recording thousands of new COVID cases. So is this a sign that China's zero-Covid policy needs a rethink? And with the highly transmissible Omicron variant to contend with, what could a new strategy look like? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Vincent Nee, as The Guardian's China affairs correspondent, I'm sure you've been very busy working on COVID throughout the past two years. But first off, just tell us, what does the day-to-day life in a lockdown in China look like? 
Well, Madeline, in China, lockdown means lockdown. In most cases, you are not allowed to leave your home. Some local authorities even seal off the neighborhood that is under the lockdown, so that nobody will be able to sneak out of it. This matters when it comes to food and the daily necessities, and that is probably why, when recent reports of Shanghai residents struggling to get enough food, it came as such a shock to many. Right, and you've recently been reporting on what's been going on in Shanghai and its COVID outbreak. How did the cases begin to rise, and what has the public health response been to that? Well, for the last two years or so, people in Shanghai have lived in a largely virus-free city. There were neighborhood lockdowns here and there, and even during the Delta variant last summer, the authorities were able to largely contain the spread of the virus. Then came the Omicron, and fast forward to mid-March, the confirmed cases had reached over two thousand. And towards the end of the month, seeing the situation out of control, the authorities vacillated over whether. They should shut the city down or not. So they initially tried to do a phased lockdown. They were still struggling to stop the、uh, spread of the virus. So finally, they announced the entire city would go into a lockdown. Now, Shanghai is a city of nearly 26 million people. It's the most populous city in China. It's about the size of the population of Australia, right? So if you think about putting all Australians into a lockdown, you know, all of a sudden, you know, how chaotic. That could become as well. So, tell me a little bit more about the reaction from the residents. Shanghai used to be called Paris of the East, right? So the city was known for its hustle and bustle, but suddenly all came to a standstill. Despite these severe shutdowns, you know, case numbers have continued to climb up, and because the lockdown decision came too swiftly, it seems the city was very much ill prepared to deal with things like medical emergencies. You know, last week I spoke to several people who said they or their loved ones were not able to access medical facilities. Facilities because hospitals were closed. Some residents also complained about not being able to get enough food. That to a wealthy city like Shanghai, which has long been proud of its bureaucracy's competence, it's pretty shocking. Why has there been this growing discontent? Why are there these issues in terms of access to necessities? Part of the reason I think is to do with the supply chain. You know, all these delivery drivers have been locked down as well, right? And the supplies from outside of,、uh, of of Shanghai were not able to come into the city because the city is under lockdown. And people in Shanghai are known for being very practical. You know, they normally don't talk about politics. But when they couldn't get food, you've seen, you know, many people protesting in their neighborhoods, in which they chanted, "Give us supplies, give us food." The response of the Chinese authorities is that they're going to relax these lockdown measures in some Shanghai neighborhoods from Monday. But of course, the reason that we've seen the spike in cases is because of the Omicron variant, which is just so much more transmissible. But at the same time, there's this challenge as well because China's vaccination coverage is quite low in the older age groups, and the Chinese vaccine Sinovac doesn't seem to be quite as effective against the Omicron strain. 
Yeah, we, we've seen quite a number of studies about this. But a recent Hong Kong University study also found that uh, administering three doses of Sinovac was actually 98% effective at preventing severe illness in people over 60 years old. That is no worse than, say, you know, BioNTech vaccine, right? But two jabs only provided 72% effective at preventing serious cases and 77% effective against deaths, which is lower than BioNTech. The problem is that there are actually more than 130 million Chinese people who are over 60 years old, either not vaccinated at all or have received fewer than three doses. You know, potentially you're running into a situation that will crumble the entire medical care system in China because China's medical care system is not as developed as many other Western countries like the UK, like the US. So China has found itself in a bit of a sticky spot now because it's faced with Omicron, which is very transmissible. It's also got a huge job ahead in trying to vaccinate its population. Is there anything else it can do? Are there other measures it can take? Well, I guess in the short term, you know, in order to stamp out um, massive outbreaks, you know, mass testing is necessary, right? But the big question here is that how sustainable is this? And who's going to afford the bill in the long term if we recognize the virus is not going to be eradicated at all anytime soon? So this is the first. And secondly, current vaccination in China, Sinovac, is a traditional inactivated virus vaccine. There seems to be a consensus, you know, even in China, that it is not as effective as mRNA vaccines. But in reality, politics often gets in the way. The foreign vaccine, mRNA vaccine, has never been approved. They were not allowed to be rolled out nationwide. Vincent, like any country around the world, the Chinese economy has to be balanced with these lockdowns. And it has been taking a hit whilst the rest of the world largely has been opening back up. How realistic is it that China's going to be able to keep to its guns and carry on with elimination, especially when other countries like the UK are almost going down the opposite route? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, Madeline. And I would also add that because these sudden lockdowns are so dis disruptive to daily lives, how long could people be able to put up with those measures? What is going to happen with the sort of social contract between citizens and the rulers, you know, in Shanghai and, you know, nationwide? I think that's a still question. And I guess, you know, in the long run, the Chinese authorities will, will have to consider how much this would cost to China. I mean, it's not just economic cost, right? You know, there's also societal costs, political costs, as well as diplomatic costs. You know, China can be locked down forever, right? You know, it is really difficult for foreign business people to travel to China these days because they don't want to be quarantined for, you know, at least two or three weeks. I think that's something that the government in China would have to consider very, very carefully. And do you think what's happening in Shanghai is maybe a first sign that China could be moving away from its zero COVID approach? because of all the things that you've talked about? 
we we've not seen any signs of、um, you know nationwide U-turn in this zero COVID policy. You know, if anything, in the last few weeks, we've only seen political leaders doubling down on the zero COVID policy. But I think at the back of the mind, you know, they also realize it is not possible in the long term because Omicron is simply too you know transmissible. But I think without a effective vaccine. Without ramping up vaccination campaign, especially among elderly population, moving away from zero COVID is not likely to happen anytime soon. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next, and we'll be keeping up with your reporting on it, Vincent. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Vincent Nee. You can find links to his reporting on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. Just before you go, I want to point you towards our podcast, Politics Weekly America, which comes out every Friday. Guardian columnist and former Washington correspondent Jonathan Friedland invites guests to help analyse the latest in U.S. politics. The most recent episode looks at how President Biden's press team went into crisis control mode. After he went off script talking about Vladimir Putin, and with his low popularity ratings, it asks, "Does the White House have a communication problem?" Search for Politics Weekly America wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to never miss an episode. And that's it from us today. The producers were me, Madeline Finley, and Anand Jagatia. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back next Tuesday. See you then. This is the Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it. What if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast "Tools and Weapons" is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.